And Dominion Fire 360 is on, my friends. Million here with you, M-I-L-L-I-A-N, your ministry provocateur, iconoclast, firebrand, and the resident heretic here at Dominion Fire. I'm going to change the name of the show today. It's not going to be Dominion Fire 360. It's going to be Dominion Fire 360 International because we're gone overseas today. Now, we're in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm in the middle of the Mojave Desert out here in, in a very hot, dry place. We're going ocean hopping to the other side over to the UK. Joining me today from Hampshire in the UK is Mark Gamblin from Doxa Encounters Ministry. Mark, welcome. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Good to be here. It's awesome to have you here and the awesome accent. I love both. So UK, now uh, we had emailed a little bit. We were kind of just chatting about what you do and some of your uh, ministry work over there. I want to open sort of with the UK thing and then we'll get into your background. Now, when I think of like UK, now I was actually watching a video not too long ago where I was like, what's the difference between like England, Britain, UK? And I was like trying to break it all down. It's like, I think I got a pretty good handle on who's who now. I'm like, I'm, I got it. But you're in England proper in Hampshire. So when I think, and maybe just just my you know silly American-ism, <laughs> but when I think of like Europe and England, in England specifically in church, I always think of like old cathedrals and like Reformation and Anglican church and Archbishop Canterbury and all that kind of good stuff. And I think of it as sort of like an, maybe like an older stodgy kind of thing that people just do, but you're here to kind of give us what the real flavor is because your feet on the ground there. So what is Christian life and ministry looking like in UK and England specifically? That's, that's a big question because, yeah, there is cathedrals, but I think like, like in America, there's lots of different denominations. And so the cathedral Anglicanism is just one denomination out of loads. So you have the traditional Anglican suits, but the uh, smoke and the pomp and ceremony, all the very uh, upper class, very posh, and um, where the suits and toys all the way down to turning up to church in your T-shirt and baseball cap. Um, so it, there's a, quite a large spectrum. And so because there's a large spectrum, you've got, got the Anglican, the pomp and ceremony, all the way through to the charismatic, Pentecostal, shouting, hands in the air, speaking in tongues. Um, so you wouldn't, speak in tongues in an Anglican setting, um, unless you want to get kicked out. Has, so that's, that's has that been known to happen, or is that like, oh, they, yeah. they will yeah, kick yeah. you out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, some Anglican churches are more open than others, but you're not going to really, in a Church of England, you're not going to get someone standing up prophesying and giving words of knowledge. That's not massively, by and large, apart from the odd exception, that's not really going to happen. Give us sort of your background, your experience. Tell us about you. And you got started at a young age in this. And then let's take it up to the modern day and how you contribute to your area. Talking about denominations, Christianity came in my family during uh, Wesley, George Wesley, ever Methodist. So all of my family history, my father's side were strong, hardcore Methodists. When I was about, I don't know, maybe eight, nine, I had an encounter with God in my bedroom. And so I kind of heard the voice of God speak to me. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I kind of thought every Christian goes through that experience. That's how all the adults in church know that God exists, because they have this encounter with God. And so I went to the Methodist church on Sunday, and no one knew on earth what I was talking about. You know, it was like I was talking completely alien language. I mean, these, these people never even heard of speaking in tongues. 
So throughout my childhood, I would have these encounters on and off nearly every other night, at least every week, where I'd hear God speak to me, I'd feel the Holy Spirit, I would just start seeing into the angelic realms, all sorts of crazy stuff. And that was normal for me, like supernatural was normal. And I remember sitting in this Methodist church, looking around, thinking, oh, that person's got a demon on them. Oh, that person's got a demon on them. When I'm older, this whole Methodist church, this whole Methodist movement is going to have some problems and it's not going to be as vibrant as it is now. So I was, I was having all this kind of, kind of stuff. I never knew really any of the terminology until I was about 17 when I broke from my family tradition and I started going to Pentecostal church and I started to hear about the prophetic. And the first time I heard the word prophetic, I thought, wow, that sounds exciting. I don't know what that means, but that made my spirit leap. Well, I'm going to find out what that means, prophetic constantly. So that was kind of my introduction into, into Christianity. Supernatural is just normal. Hearing God speak was normal. Seeing visions and dreams, um, angelic, hearing voices, all that was completely normal. And I, I never knew Christianity outside of that. In fact, even now, I don't know what Christianity without that would look like. I can't sort of comprehend it. Yeah, so that was kind of my background into my journey into Christianity. All right, a couple questions here. Because now, when you first heard the voice of God, I've heard the audible voice of God maybe two times in my life that I can actually say the first time I heard it, I nearly jumped out of my skin. It, it startled me. Like, I was like, <laughs> I just jumped. The first time you had that, was, was it an audible thing or did you just kind of perceive it spirit-wise like a lot of people do? How did it come to you and did you know right away what it was or were you kind of freaked out? What happened? Yeah, well, I just went, I went to bed, um, I must have been know, eight, nine, ten, that kind of age group. I can't remember specific now what age it was, but it must have been eight, nine or ten that age. So I went to bed as normal and I was laying in bed, just waiting to go to sleep. And it was just like I do every other night, every night. And I heard a voice saying, hello, Mark. And straight away, I knew that was God. I didn't know how many it was God. Because I come from a Methodist background where you don't talk about things like this, you know, churches, an hour every Sunday, you sing a few hymns and you go home again. I just knew it was God. I don't know how. I just knew that was God. So I said, God, is that you? Yes, Mark. And I mean, I was immediately being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I had no terminology. I used to call the Holy Spirit the feeling. You know, when you feel the Holy Spirit and you feel God on you. So I just I scored the Holy Spirit the feeling because I had no terminology for. And then that kind of went on throughout my childhood just hearing God speak to me like that, and then God speaking about my future and things that he kind of wants me to do. So that was my experience of the audible voice of God. When you were at your family church and you said you tried to bring it up and they were kind of like not sure what to make of it until you were 17 throughout that time, were you trying to explain to people what was going on or were you just kind of keeping it to yourself and going about life? Because if you say it, you're a little kid, you say it to your parents they are be supportive. Oh, that that's lovely, honey. You run with that. <laughs> were your parents like that, or were they kind of like you need to stop that? That's not the accent they would have, but they, how you know you need to stop that, or because you know you decide to make that choice to leave a family church, especially when it's like a more traditional established church. There are some fireworks coming. So how did that whole kind of living that out? How did that ultimately? show itself with family and going through and leaving a family church? That caused issues. My mother, she kind of was slightly open to it all. 
And she had some friends later when I was about 13, 14, that kind of started to go to Pentecostal churches. So she started to slowly be exposed to it. But she was slightly more open. My dad, not as much, because all my family went to Methodist churches. But this is the first gambling since John Wesley not to go to a Methodist church. So it, it did rock the boat a little bit. In the end, I was allowed to go there, but don't speak about it. Don't talk about it when you come back. So, yeah, it was breaking that family tradition was kind of hard. You're also saying that as you got filled with the spirit that you started perceiving things and you started saying like seeing demons on people. Did it always affect you like a, in a visual sense, like a seer sense, or did it did you get like a shuffling of all different kind of things? Like what was the main way that you began operating in that? When I was praying um, on my bed, it would be a lot of godly stuff that I'd see. But outside of prayer, outside of a prayer context, it would be mostly demonic stuff. I wouldn't see godly stuff. Mainly, I think, because I was nowhere where it was godly. And I was either in school or, you know, just the world environment. So there wasn't any Christianity going on around me. So all I'd see was demonic stuff. So the first time I saw something, I know now it was demonic, but back then I didn't know. I was in church and I saw sort of like a blackness around around someone. And then I started to perceive like something's not right. I can't put my finger on it, but something's not right about that person. I don't know what it is, but something just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't connect to me. But I remember at school, I remember I went through a period where I was just seeing demons all over the place at school. So I'd be in class and the teacher would start having horns coming out of her head. Or I'd, I'd see things on people's backs at, at school. And that was like really, really out there. I remember once, I remember once, <laughs> I actually let it but I hear God speak. To say that you hear a voice, Christians, we know what we're talking about. But I remember at school, I went and said, I hear God speak. And the teacher said, what do you mean you hear God speak? I said, well, God speaks to me. And they said, what, you're hearing voices? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Because me, it's completely normal. And I had no wisdom. I had no filter or anything like that. And I got sent to the school, sent me to see a psychologist. <laughs> because, because they didn't understand what I was talking about. And so the next minute, my family were called into the school. And they weren't um, Pentecostals or anything like that. So it was, yeah, it was, it was hard. <laughs> really, I'm looking back now. I think, man, how did I get through that? It's it's funny because when when I know what you're talking about, it's like because you, per, I, I just say you perceive it. You know, it's like you kind of hear it, but in your head, or you hear like the, you almost like you hear the thoughts of God, if if that makes sense. And and a lot of times it's uh, people are weird. Like it's like you hear God. I'm like, yeah, you don't, <laughs> and I'm the weird one. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a lot of us that actually you know get stuff, and then if you ever drop like information on them or read their mail or word of prophecy or you know, something like that. It's always great to see their reaction when they're like, how'd you do that? I'm like, I just told you, man. So you sort of, from what you told me, you have really been leaning towards the prophetic side and, and everything else comes out of that. When you started getting a hold of this and you started kind of walking it out, you're getting older, getting more wisdom and just becoming aware of this. How did it pivot then into prophetic? Is there a reason for that specifically, or kind of give me give me like a, a an overview of that? When I was uh, eighteen, nineteen, I 
joined um, a training course in my church. So we, for three years, we learned about theology, Bible, but we talked about gifts of the Spirit as, as well. And that was against the whole backdrop of Toronto. So the Holy Spirit was like sort of moving. So the church I was in kind of called that whole Toronto win. So it was the prophetic starts to become normal. People talking about, I hear God say this, I'm getting pictures of, of this. So it starts to become normal. So I was starting to get more and more open to it and more and more exposed to prophetic. And then I kind of just, I slowly started to do it. I slowly started to kind of get things from God. I mean, just started opening up and started to flow more and more. But the thing was, I realised I was pathetic all the time. I just didn't identify it. I didn't realise it. So I think that was some of my journey in there. Then I spent, after that, I spent maybe about three, four years in prayer. So I would go to my church. In Luke, beginning of Luke, there's a prophetess called Anna. Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to see Anna, and it says about Anna that she was a prophetess, a widow who stayed in the temple night and day in prayer. And so I kind of felt the Lord lead me to this Anna sort of style ministry. So for about three, four years, I would just every day I'd go to my church. I had a room that they allowed me to use. I just went to this room. I spent every day in prayer, just waiting on God, um, listening to God, countering God's glory, God's presence. And that's kind of my journey, I guess, really interpreted. When you are doing your ministry work now and you sort of have, you know, kind of your own thing going on, do you look favorably or unfavorably on coming out of the Methodist church or the Methodist church as it is today? Because a lot of the big churches that we know of, they've gone kind of weird directions in this last couple of years. It's like there's, I'm sure you pick it up too. There's a lot of craziness going on just in church in general. And so how are you in that regard? And I ask that because I grew up in the Catholic faith and I didn't think much of it growing up and I went away from it and then eventually got saved. And there was a time after that where I sort of, I don't want to say, you know, freed myself from that, but lack of a better term. And there was a, I was at an airport once and I was catching a flight and I said, hey, there's a, a church service. Let me go jump in before I catch my flight because it seems like a good idea. And it turned out to be a Catholic service. And I'm like, all right, not exactly what I want, but I know what to do. And I said, I'll just go kind of hang and pray. And just as I was through the service, I was having like these God experiences. It was like you were talking about where you just feel it. And I was like, okay, this is weird, man. (laughs) So how do you feel modern day about like the Methodist church or I assume your family is still in it? Like, do you have still have conflicts with it? Do you have issues with them? Are you kind of cool with them? How do you perceive that now? Well, my family invested left in Methodist movement. Oh, no they're kidding. Now okay. More, okay. They're now more um, evangelical, soft Pentecostal. That's a miracle in itself. Yeah, how do I feel about it now? I think, I mean, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, you know, I think they're some of my heroes of my faith. I've got lots of heroes of faith. I love reading about how God used them and the stories that they were involved in. And the whole cities were reached by presence of God, whole cities and communities were touched by God and became Christians, especially up and down the land in England. They started moving, they started churches, and the anointing on their lives was fantastic. I mean, they, they stood up riots. The whole cities came out and rioted in England because they were preaching. It was fantastic. They had crowds in hillsides just mesmerized, hundreds, thousands of people. And so I look today at that movement, and I think, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I mean, there are good people in the Methodist. I, mean, I don't know any Methodists now, to be honest. It was a long time ago since I associated with them. I am concerned about Methodist movement. Lots of Methodist churches will probably close their doors. 
it's starting to struggle. There's lots of churches in the UK where the Lord is shifting through. And I think some churches and some denominations won't exist in a few years' time. Yeah, I think that's a thing going on right now. I think uh, God is cleansing out his churches across the board because I'm seeing that here as well with a lot of a lot of the big you know, denominations are going completely sideways. And even a lot of the you know the Protestant, Evangelical, Pentecostal, they're going crazy sideways on on a lot of topics. It's it's very strange. We're we are definitely in strange times. So as I'm kind of reviewing your information here, something that I that I'm seeing here that I want to get into. It says, from a young age, you have moved in the prophetic as well as seeing into the angelic realm. Now, here's and I'm going to ask you this since it's it's mentioned here. I have always had a little bit of an issue with angelic and angelic realm. Now, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not, you know, I'm open to whatever. I like this kind of stuff. I just can't seem to figure this out. And this is going to sound completely stupid, but I'll throw it out there because that's what I do. I I still can't seem to figure out the purpose of like angels (laughs) in in our life, right? And I've heard a lot of different explanations for, for the why and the where and what they do and all this stuff. And it's like, but you know, don't you just go to the Holy Spirit specifically? And I can't seem to figure out what they're what they're there, what they're there for, so on and so forth. What you got? And, and do you know what? I'm exactly the same. I struggle with angels. I see them quite regularly, but I struggle with the whole concept of angels because, you know, we go to the Holy Spirit. So if I want something, well, I pray to Jesus. I don't pray to an angel. You know, so I kind of struggle with it. And I, I, this really blew my mind. Every, a lot of times I see angels, my, my uh, theology gets challenged. So, for example, I remember once it was Christmas time, the church had the church notices up, and far too many notices, it was worship. I saw an angel. I saw this angel dancing, this angel was really happy. Um, so I thought, you yeah, know, that's cool. Um, off to one stage, off to one side by the, by the stage, I saw this angel just dancing and worshiping God. I thought, yeah, that's, that's brilliant, that's, that's cool. Then the worship finished and they had some notices. And because it's Christmas time, they had. I can't remember the song, but it's like an oldie, an old Christmas classic, like I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, or something like that, a secular song, but like an old 1950s kind of song. I saw this angel, and the angel was happy, and started doing this little jig to this 1950s music, and I think, what, why, why? I wasn't happy. That, I'm happy with dancing to Christian music, I'm not happy at dancing to secular music. That doesn't compute in my mind. Um, the angel was jolly, he was a happy angel, but why is it dancing to that so you know I, I have these questions and in healing as well i see angelic activity especially in healing more than anything else there's a healing anointing there and i'm inviting people to come up for healing and i see maybe an angel to one side the anointing is heavy in that area where the angel is but in my mind i'm thinking yeah but it's the holy spirit jesus is the healer not an angel so why is the anointing heavy where there's an angel there that doesn't theologically make sense so I have these, I have these questions. You know, I'm always saying, "Well, God, I don't get this. I don't understand that." So going back to your question, it says in Scripture that angels are messengers, are messengers, spirits that are sent to help those who inherit salvation, which is us. So I think, you know, they're messenger servants. They help to release the purposes of God on the earth. They come to help to, to help us. You know, I know stories where people have been lost, have been guided by an angel to get somewhere. There's been almost like muggers. And, and we're going to do harm to um, some Christians, but we saw an angel, they saw someone else next to them. Um, so they didn't dare go near that person because there's just like, person who wrote in their back, like an angel that was there. And so, you know, there's the stories like this. You know, I, I remember 
told me where I had this encounter where it was like it's a demonic dream and I was being attacked in this dream by demons but then this angel came and rescued me out of this, this demonic attack in this dream so I don't tend to get hung up on it I focus on Jesus and the angels are there and that's cool brilliant I don't always have to understand it but my eyes are on Jesus I'm not getting caught up with the angelic I'm not getting caught up with what angels are doing and I just flow flow with the Holy Spirit I, I think some of the confusion comes in when people tend to go off on one with angels and it's all about angels and I think tend to be probably a little bit dangerous in their theology because you take your eyes off of Jesus it becomes all about the angels the angels are doing this the angels are doing that and it's, yeah, it's great and, you know we cooperate and co-labor with God and but when it's all about angelic activity, I think then we can start to go and lose our plot a little bit. So it's about balance. I think wisdom and balance. I think it says in um, Corinthians, or Ephesians, about having the gift of revelation and wisdom. And so it's totally the revelation from God, but the wisdom at the same time. And without, without wisdom, I think prophetic and that kind of stuff goes, can go way out there. Um, and lose the plot, that's why I think you need wisdom. So after all this stuff that you've been involved in and you've brought back together and started getting into ministry, how did you actually get into ministry? Where did Doxa come about? And what what do you do locally with all this? Going back to when I first became a Christian when I was what, eight or nine or ten, one of the things I said to, to the Lord during that period was, God, is there anything I could do for you? God said, yes, there is, Mark. When you're older, I want you to go to different countries, speak to different countries, I want you to give a word, what I say, speak out to different countries, what I give you to say. That, from that point on, that was my mission in life. That was my um, my focal point. So I aimed, everything in life was aiming to do that. So when I left school, I went to train theology, Bible um, in my church, and I spent time praying. And then I got married, started a bit of a family. I was suddenly settled down into happy, married, family life. And, and so that kind of goal that was on my heart started to, it didn't wane, it was there, but I was more content to, for family life, simple living, an easy life. And then I heard God say, and now it's time to start to do what I called you to do. I thought, well, how am I going to do that? Because I didn't like the idea of starting ministry because in my mind, I just wanted to, um, I wanted it all to be about Jesus. And I had this sort of negative view of ministries where it's all about the ministry like my ministry this my ministry that and it's all about the ministry and it's not about jesus so I, I was a bit apprehensive people aren't going to be able to relate to it. how how people can connect with what i want to do if i refuse to have a ministry and so I thought, well i'll reluctantly do one but i'm not going to call it mark gambling ministries because i don't i'd be, I'd be boasting i'll be like bigger my name up so i'll be promoting my name i don't want to promote my name you know i i, I promote jesus i'm good at that but i don't want to my name be over it. I, you know, I just want to decrease. I want to be in the background. Let, so that, that's my kind of approach. And so I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I thought, I'm going to call it glory. Anything, a lot of the stuff I do is about the manifest glory of God, releasing the manifest glory of God and seeing the manifest glory of God come in. So I thought, well, doxa is like a Greek, New Testament Greek word for glory. So let's have our glory encounters, ministries, releasing the glory of God, releasing the prophetic and, and healing. I slowly started to do it, uh, slowly. I didn't have a clue, to be honest, on how to go about starting ministry. Didn't have a clue on how to go about doing it. But I just slowly, one step at a time. What is modern day ministry looking like over there in the UK? Are you generally well received or is like the culture getting to the point where you're getting pushed off to the side? Because 
here in in the U.S., it's it's generally been pretty open. People are kind of cool about it, but it's I'm starting to see a little bit of a trend where people are. I guess after the whole 2020 and all lockdowns and everything, people sort of broke two directions. They either seemed to go really hard towards secular or people started coming back to faith is what I've noticed. And so you, you kind of got a 50-50. What's it looking like over there? How in the general culture, how are you received with what you do? Within the church, how I'm perceived is generally good. I get the odd heresy hunter. It doesn't like oh, oh. the other the other week. I don't. I was um, speaking at a conference. We put a conference on, and we gathered prophetic people from across the entire region. And it, was, it was brilliant. And when I spoke, the Holy Spirit invaded the meeting. And the glory of God came down, and people were falling like flies, like dominoes, and top of one another. And um, demons were just coming off people. It was it was it was fantastic. In my mind, it was like the ultimate meeting. I had to stop preaching because the glory of God was just coming through. You kind of end, at the end of it, you're all happy at home. Thinking, oh, it was good, Lord God. Then the emails from the disgruntled people come in and saying, I should have finished preaching my talk. I've no right to, uh, I, I, I dishonored God by what I've done. The Holy Spirit doesn't like what I've done. And you know, you get the hairs, you hunters, and, and uh, you need to be careful. You don't end up like a false prophet. And <laughs> and you've got 90, 98% of the people of loving it when you've got the small hinge of people going, yeah, yeah. It's, it's they're like a supernatural. And I think, and that's, I think, what I noticed about England is, especially in the Pentecostal charismatic churches, is that you kind of got two groups. You've got the group which say they love the supernatural, healing, prophecy, gifts of the Spirit, the manifest presence of God, the Holy Spirit coming in, but they give it its lip service. It doesn't go further than that. Or they would welcome the prophetic as long as it's that nice edification, exhortation word where they say, it's almost like someone's coming in with baggage. Let's take our baggage off this morning. That's as far as it goes from prophetic. Anything more than that, we don't really like it. Then you've got the other side where they just want to go for it. But it's the majority of churches are, let's give lip service to it, but let's not really go for it. I mean, there's, I don't know many churches in England where, where on a normal Sunday morning, there'd be salvations, healings, prophetic breaking out, um, the glory of God breaking out, people come to know Jesus, a demonic coming of people, people being set free. That would be the rarity, and uh, that wouldn't be the norm. And my job is to say, well, let's make that the norm. Let's raise our standards as to what can and cannot happen in church meetings. Let's go further through God. So I think that's the general consensus. And I think, I think to be honest, a lot of England, British churches, look to American churches for that kind of stuff. And so there is some prophetic stuff in England, but majority of, of that kind of environment is America. We just take stuff American, kind of feed off of or off of um, the American evangelist, the American uh, prophetic um, stuff, which is great, great because that's, I think, part of America's destiny in the world is to release this kind of stuff in, into the world. But I think, yeah, it's great, but where's, where's England's voice? Where's British, where's British voice? It's great to receive this kind of stuff. It's fantastic. We need more of it. But we need to start to see that raise up in our own land. We need to start to see prophetic raise up and the healing and the power of God and revival released in our land. And I think some of the perception, and this may be right or wrong, I don't know, but most of the perception of American churches is that you're all prophets. You're all uh, moving signs and wonders and miracles. And you've got all these healing schools and schools of spirit and... And, and, and that, so that, that's our perspective of America, is that the vast majority of the churches are just going for it with God. Yeah, I would think of it as 
with just England and UK with just the reach, you know, the sun never sets on the British Empire, as they say. It's just you have this massive reach of everywhere in the world. So I would think that, you know, where's the British voice? It's just reaching everywhere. (laughs) That's just how I would see it. But have you had the opportunity to travel around and go different places and do that as well? Yeah, yeah. We do healing crusades internationally. So in our next one's in October. For the first time, we've been able to do something since COVID. So we're going to um, to Kenya, Nairobi, and we're going to have a healing crusade in, in Nairobi. So we're just going to go with local churches and Gabby's church together, and we're going to train them in the prophetic. And then in the evening, we're going to have this mass open air healing crusade where just see the entire area, pray that entire area is going to be hit by the power of God, the fresh pouring of God's spirit. Yeah, so yeah, so we do stuff like that internationally. We go to India, Africa, Asia, just holding healing crusades, and we're just power God touches entire regions. So we can't do that. And then I'm trying to get that going in England as well. It's again not as receptive as overseas because healing, it's not you don't really do it. It's not it's it's not massively massively big thing. It's like the odd healings here and there. But to see a massive outbreak of healing after healing after healing after healing, of blind eyes opening, of ears being bit open, you don't see that. That's a rarity in England. And the same thing here as well. And I, you know, I was talking with somebody in ministry a while about that, and what they said was, is that you're not going to see all that crazy stuff because anything that you have wrong, you could basically don't go down to the corner pharmacy or chemist. I think you guys call it, and just get whatever you need, and it's you know your headache's gone in uh, 15 minutes. There's no need for it. And so in other parts of the world where they don't have those luxuries, it it makes sense that they would be more open to that. And you would actually see more of that. As you have traveled to different places, when you initially reached out to me, we were talking a little about healing proper. And before the show, as we were also discussing it, you said it started with prophetic in your ministry work and then healing comes out of that. So kind of bridge those two together for me. How do you see healing come from prophetic work? To me, it kind of, you start prophesying to sickness. It's kind of like you call it to when there's power that is unlocked with the voice of God. In Ezekiel, value the dry bones. Uh, Ezekiel prophesied to the bones, these dead, lifeless bones, and they came back to life. In a sense, the prophetic is like saying the prophetic calls things forth. The prophetic speaks things forth and calls things um, into existence. So blind eyes, I speak life into blind eyes. In the name of Jesus, blind eyes see. Again, so it's... it's kind of flows like kind of like that and you've got the words of knowledge as, as well like you know if people here have got a certain sickness for so many years or whatever and this is what doctor says you know come forward about you so it kind of all starts to, to flow together and sometimes it's like well you've got a bad knee well this knee is going to be used to be praising the lord this this is the destiny of your knee your knee is not to be bowed your knee is to be used to be praising the lord and jumping up and down and that's the knee's destiny. And this current situation doesn't conform to what God says about that knee. So therefore, in the name of Jesus, I speak the word of God into that knee and be healed in Jesus' name. And so it kind of, it flows like that. If I make it sense, I, mean, I haven't quite got it figured out, but it's just. Yeah, it's, it, like it sounds like you're working with that dominion and authority commanding what you need to happen. But at the same time, you're speaking the purpose for why that commanding is happening. So, yes, that knee is going to be healed, but here's why. So it seems like that that's what's blending those two together. As you've done this in ministry, uh, share with me some healing testimonies. Tell me some like some of the crazier things you've seen. The first time I saw cancer healed, there was this guy in India. 
we didn't send low to low level healings, awkward low level healings like um, like head pains, neck pains, that that kind of thing. We were there ministering for about three hours, praying for, praying for the sick. It's huge, you know, huge, huge people, and they've all got needs. And they brought me over to this guy, and they said, "Pray for him." So I prayed for him, but because of the amount of people, I went on to other, other people that brought me back over to him. So I said, well, "What's wrong with this guy?" I said, "He's got throat cancer. He hasn't eaten." Drink, drunk him out for about six months or so, and he, his God was rivet. I mean, he was proper, proper sick. And so I prayed for him, then I walked away. And since I walked away, I heard God say, You walk away now, you can be walking away from the biggest miracle you've seen. So I kind of turned back, I went over, and I, I prayed for him. And then, over the course of five minutes, ten minutes, he started taking in food and more and more drink. And he was a Hindu, and so he became a Christian. And his family became Christians, and the word spread throughout that village. But that healing broke me through into seeing, because it was low-level healings. But that healing then broke me through into seeing loads of that, that sort of level healings. We started seeing, there's a little girl. She was born with birth defect, and her hand was like twisted. It was all just people can't, can't see it, but hand was like, her hand was about seven years old. It was mutated, twisted round, completely deformed. Prayed for it to straighten Jesus' name, and the whole hand started moving and became completely normal. It was deformed hand just in the space of like five seconds became completely normal. It was like twist body parts. And then um, we got a YouTube clip of this. If you go to, to YouTube, our, our YouTube channels, there's um, this lady in Africa and she had um, stomach tumours. And so pray for her, pray for the tumours to come out of the stomach and she started vomiting out the tumour. And so, so it's a bit gross to look at on the video, but if you get a chance to look at um, YouTube videos on our, on our website, there's a, you see the vomit, you see her vomiting up the tumor, like a big pool of like tumors on the floor. And she's getting up and she's jumping up and down completely pain-free. So it's kind of, it's stuff like that. And, that, and those, those healings break out a high level of healings because people see that when their faith is increased. So when you start to blind eyes and, and like, there's a, there's a boy in India and he was mute. He couldn't speak. Prayed for him and, um, so of course about 10 minutes we just continue praying 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 and say can you say jesus and you couldn't say anything then gradually it was like jesus then he said either jesus 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 and he was completely completely healed he was like you know then he kind of he followed me around he was like holding my water bottle he wouldn't leave us alone it's like so, and his family were in tears. And, and again, that, those um, healings travel around the community because people see this boy. They know they've seen this boy since he was like, since he was born. They knew he was deaf and dumb, couldn't speak. And now he's speaking. And that's, that's a testimony to the entire region. Then they all become Christians. So the churches are then suddenly exploding because they're all coming to know Jesus. And do you still keep in touch with any of those? Do you hear reports that come from after the fact? I'm still, I'm still friends with the pastor today. We're hoping to go back uh, next year, hopefully. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I know that the, the, the um, stories have gone around the villages because we come, I come back and told me, oh, the story has now spread and our church is now big and our church is now experiencing revival and um, healings are continuing even though you've left and people get the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, so we get kind of get the, the stories. And, um, and, yeah, so it's always good to find out because sometimes in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, but especially when you can't see the healed. They say, oh, you know, how do you feel? And say, I'm better. In the back of your mind, you think, oh, I wonder if you are better. But we pull back and say, weeks later, they're still saying, yeah, 
Yeah, no, we, we're properly healed. And really, okay, cool. That's pretty good. Sometimes you just doubt, yeah, you're going to lose us. You're going to send it just to, just, to, just to shut me up, aren't you? You know, with a lot of those cases, after you minister healing, you so want it right there on the spot, and sometimes you just got to wait it out. And you just have to have that faith. You just have to just be like, all right, it's done. And, and then, you know, eventually you may hear something. I've heard something back from someone like two years after the fact. And I was like, well, you know, you tell me now. <laughs> I've been worrying about it for two years. So I, I completely, completely get that. Over the last couple years, with everything going crazy and the world just basically losing its mind, as people that operate in healing, and especially with us, it was one of those things where we should have been able to be part of that, but, you know, being locked in your house and being not allowed to go anywhere near anything. It was a very weird paradox. It was a very strange situation. Given that whole virus and pandemic and everything, what was your general read on the situation? How did you operate through that? And from what I remember in, uh, I think in like the London area and throughout England, it got pretty bad for a while, I remember. So what was your like experience going through that and how did you minister and do healing through that? For that, that maybe a year and a half, we couldn't do pretty much anything. So the churches shut down. You know, we, it was, we couldn't open churches. They were, you know, all public gatherings were kind of banned. Um, and when they did open, you had to have certain spaces, a certain amount of people in, in the room. It was, yeah, it was crazy. So we couldn't do any ministry at all. So anything we'd done had to go online. Yeah, so my, my reading of it was, in a sense, I had this, um, it's almost, almost like a picture of a church. It's a church on the street corner. And on the street corner, prostitutes mixed there and drug addicts mixed there. But there was a church there. And because this church was in this corner, meeting in this corner, that packed the area just by people worshipping there every Sunday and in a week. That just spiritually affected the heavenlies. But because that church door was shut and the church had been silenced, darkness was starting to grow heavy in the area because there's no voice there. Then I saw a church that used to meet in the school hall and it was no longer allowed to meet in the school hall. But that was affecting that community, it was affecting the area and crime was going up in the area. The demand was increasing in, in the area because there's no there's no light there because it, it was shut. My reading of it was that actually churches should have, the moment when the nation needed the body of Christ, the moment when England needed the church, it needed the body of Christ, it needed something, the church shut its door. You know, I understand that there was health stuff. England, yeah, it got bad. It got really, really bad. And so there could have been another way to have, to, to, to have done it. But I think churches need to keep the doors open. I mean, we weren't even allowed to have prayer meetings. You couldn't even do prayer walking around the streets. You know, everyone was in the houses, shut down. You weren't even allowed to do anything apart from go to the shops or go to get medicine. The moment when the nation needed the body of Christ, the moment when the nation needed the church, needed the voice of God, the doors were shut, and I think I was unfortunate. It's disappointing, no doubt, and but fortunately, out of that whole experience, for as much bad as as everybody went through, there were some great things that did come out of it. Like, for instance, I can like order food and groceries and don't have to go to the shop anymore. They'll just deliver it to me, which I think is wonderful. Any restaurant I want, they'll bring it to me to my front door. <laughs> like, this is great, man. But the the one cool part about it is is kind of like with um, how we're connecting now through online, whether it be Zoom or Facebook or Messenger. 
Over the years, we've had many healing testimonies happen over Skype, for instance, or over video stream, however we did it. And I know throughout the pandemic, like normally we would do hospital visits. They wouldn't let you anywhere near a hospital, man. And so it's like, I can't get in there. I got to stand like outside or, you know, point my hand at the hospital or whatever. But the good part was, is that we did have a few people that reached out to us that we were able to connect like on Facebook or on Messenger or on Zoom and actually pray for them for healing from COVID. And everybody's still around today. So apparently something works somewhere. And so that was good. So it it wasn't a total loss. It's just, I, I think in a lot of ways, like you were saying, it's sort of exposed where we think we're strong and we may not necessarily be as strong as we think we are. And we got to work on that. So in a way, I think there was, you know, there was clearly a lot of bad, but I think there was some good that came out of it. So all I could say is that hopefully that teaches us better going forward. We have to just repent of what we did wrong and just kind of pick up and go forward. I mean, you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think cyber church has massively increased. I mean, the church can now reach people where it couldn't have reached before. And so, yeah, there's some great stuff that came out of it. It did happen. Going forward now that things are kind of opening up, I'm, I'm sort of getting the sense they, they may try this again. We don't know. We'll see. But if, uh, if things somewhat normalize and we get to you know, have a little like normal life again, what is the future going forward for Doxa Encounters? Where are you planning to do? How are you going? Where are you going from here? What, what's the plan? Well, the plan for um, overseas is to do healing crusades. And that's half the problem, planning overseas stuff, because I don't know what the COVID situation is like on the ground. So at the moment, we're planning stuff for um, October in Kenya. But it could change at the last minute. I mean, that's ministry finances, which have been wasted. So it's, it's you know, it, it's being wise and praying with that. So anyway, so overseas stuff, we're still going to do stuff overseas. Um, England-wise, we're holding conferences and events. So we're going to hold a conference in November on the Fetic National Conference. Then going forward to the next couple of years, we're going to be holding maybe three, maybe four conferences a year, big national conferences. We're going to hold um, prophetic nights, prophetic events. Later this year, when I get back from Kenya, we're going to hold healing meetings in the city nearby. Because what, what um, I realised is when you go overseas, the anointing is so much stronger than it is when you're doing stuff nationally. So I kind of want to, to go overseas to a healing crusade and then come back and the next day do stuff in, in the UK straight off the back of it. Um, so we're going to do healing nights then on to do stuff around the country, just taking like power of God and the healing power of God and just take that around, around the nation and stirring the church up to hunger for more of God. There is so much more for the church to, to encounter. So I just want to stir that up around the country. And so that's some of our plans. So when people come to one of your events or your services or anything that you're doing, clearly you're going to teach them how like and equip them on how to do stuff. So someone that may be listening to this podcast and has an interest in prophetic, because that, again, that's a very, very huge thing. How would you teach or coach someone to operate in prophetic? How would you get them started? What would you show them? How would you tell them if someone's brand new and they're like, I love this topic, I need to start. How do we start? I could always go back to it's part of hearing God speak as part of the normal Christian life. Example, in the Old Testament, well, there's only a few prophets. 
And not everyone was prophets. The Holy Spirit came on a select few people. But in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, well, the whole Acts chapter 2 experience was all about a lot of it. Pathetic, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men have visions. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh and they will prophesy. So, so much of Acts chapter 2, baptism of the Holy Spirit, is about hearing God speak. So the first step would be being aware that God speaks and that God wants to speak to you, that he's actually a chatty God. He's you know, God like a chatterbox. You know, he has something to say about everything. Oh, so we'll just start to position ourselves in prayer to listen to God speak. And intimacy for me, a lot of it goes back to intimacy with Jesus. Pursuing intimacy with Jesus and closeness with Jesus. And that just seems to open my ears a bit to, to hearing God speak. It all comes out of intimacy with Jesus. So it's been aware that God wants to speak, soaked in the Holy Spirit, and seeking intimacy with Jesus would be my starting point. So what does that actually mean? Because you'll hear people use that term a lot, intimacy with Jesus or my private time, my prayer closet. What does that actually mean? Like, what does that look like for someone? Well, you know, you know I actually wrote a book called Romancing Jesus, which is all about, you can buy it on Amazon if anyone's listening. It's all about intimacy with Jesus, uh, about being hungry for God. It's So for me, intimacy with Jesus is pouring my love out to Jesus. It's telling Jesus how much I love him, how how great he is and I just want to seek closeness with the Lord and I just want to spend time in prayer a lot of people spend time in prayer because they want to get something from God you know, there's some sort of ulterior motive behind, behind it, not everyone but you know, a lot of people have a prayer request, a prayer list it's, for me it's about spending time with Jesus for no other reason than you just want to be with Jesus just want to spend time being with him just speaking to him like a friend speaking to him just just being in, in his presence, just telling you how lovely he is and how much, you know, just love the Lord. So for me, that's what intimacy with Jesus kind of looks like. Yeah, I often say that through discernment is kind of how I pray, because I kind of function very, very sharply in discernment. Sometimes, like you're saying, it's hearing God or hearing what he's trying to tell you, not even audibly, just kind of perceiving what what he's talking about. If prayer is a conversation, sometimes you could just, you know, shut up and listen. <laughs> That's kind of how I think I do it as far as prayer, because like you said, he's a very, very chatty kind of guy. And you just kind of you know, just shut up and listen. Just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> just kind of give him the active listening thing. And we're praying now. I like it. But it looks like you got a couple other books. And uh, we have Healings in the Bible. And we have Romancing Jesus, Bible Dreams, and Entering the Glory Realm. Tell us about some of your books and your writing. Well, so Romance and Jesus is all about intimacy with Jesus. It's about prayer, based on a book on prayer, on an encouragement on people who want to be more intimate with Jesus, if you want to grow in intimacy with Jesus. So it takes, it just encourages you and, and helps you along along that path. Entering the Glory Realm was the first book I wrote. And that was about encountering the manifest glory of God. That's based on Exodus 33, 34, where Moses went up the mountain and told, said to God, show me your glory. God said, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And that was, that's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, you show me your glory, God, and about them encountering the manifest presence of God and seeing the manifest presence of God released into churches, released into communities, released into cities. So that's what that book is, is about. And then Bible Dreams is basically a study on every dream in the Bible. It goes through every dream, analyzes the dream in a biblical, political context, compares and contrasts some of the dreams in, in the Bible. And so basically, 
if you want to hear more dreams from God, in my mind is if you want to move at a deep level, study in the Bible. So if you want to, if you want to go into more the prophetic and study the prophetic in Scripture, immerse yourself in in the prophetic in, in Scripture because the Bible is more than just ink on a page. The Bible is live; it's interactive. You know, there's supernatural dimension, impartation that come from Scripture, and by soaking in the Bible, you catch something. It's supernatural. Bible dreams is all about. Uh, if you want to hear more dreams from God, if you want to God speak to you in dreams, you want to be able to understand dreams and interpret dreams, then soak in the dreams of the Bible. And then the last one was healing. It's exactly the same, but with healing. Just soak in the healings. Soak in, in, in healings and scriptures. If you sit, you want to be healed, immerse yourself in healing scriptures. If you want to pray for the sick and grow and get healing, immerse yourself in healing scriptures. So just studies all those healings and contrast them and compares them and try mm. to make with all the stuff we've discussed today involving all these different topics and then what's transpired over this last couple of years, going forward, what do you feel is the most important thing that the Christian body needs to know, needs to understand, needs to be aware of? We got to start cleaning up a little bit of a mess. So what is the biggest thing that we need to be doing right about now? See, that's kind of hard because as I get to travel, I get to see different churches in different locations around the world, all striving with some struggling with something different. I, I think I think there's two crucial answers to that. I think there's one answer: the church in your nation, what that's struggling with, and the body of Christ as, as a whole. You know, I, I think let's say we live in interesting times, and it's been relevant in those interesting times. It's been the purposes of God into those interesting times, and the world is hurting, and the world is desperate to encounter something. I think the world encounters it with the new age or the occult. The world encounters it with drugs and alcohol. But they they encounter, but apart from Jesus, you know, it's like we're encountering Jesus, encountering the presence of God, encountering God. Um, You can encounter all this other stuff. What about encountering encountering Jesus? The world is hurting. We are just searching for an encounter with something. And the church has the answer to that. And so, you know, the kingdom of God, seeing the kingdom of God, the least the kingdom of God expand over the earth. Um, so I think, I guess, evangelism, rather evangelism in, in that sense. But I think also it's dealing with each church or each church in each nation, I think, needs to deal with the situations in that nation has, spiritually, that nation is grappling with. The needs of American church is different to the needs, I guess, of the French church or the Spanish church or the Indian church or the British church. And so the church in each nation needs to discern God's destiny over their land, what God's calling their land to be, and to reflect that and be a voice in the land, to reflect what God is saying about their land. And I think that's different for each nation. If somebody would like to know more about your ministry work, where you are, how to find you, what is all your contact information? You can go to my website, which is www.doxa.com. EncountersMinistries.com. No, there's dashes in between, right? So doxa-encounters-ministries.com. YouTube. We've got a YouTube channel. It's exactly the same, Doxa Encounters Ministries. Facebook, Doxa Encounters Ministries. Or just Google me, Mark Gambling, and you can just follow me on Facebook as Mark Gambling. Mark, it has been very, very fun to have you on here and uh, have these discussions because it's kind of why we do this podcast. We like to hear everybody's thoughts on stuff. And I think you brought some really, really good things to the table for us today. And as we're starting to wrap up, 
would you please, for our audience, uh, let's do some closing prayer. And if you feel anything prophetic or healing or word of wisdom, knowledge, anything that comes across your radar screen, would you just go ahead and drop it on us today? And uh, let's, uh, let's finish this one strong, man. In Jesus' name, yes, Lord God. So, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, for the people listening to this podcast, I pray, Jesus, that you'll make, firstly, you'll make yourself more known to these people, God, that they will fall more in love with you, Lord, that they will seek you, Lord God, that they will be hungry for you, like a dear stream, like dear thirst, the streams of water, God. Let their hearts hunger for you, Jesus. Of course, a hunger in the hearts for your glory, a hunger in the heart for you, for you Jesus. And I pray, God, that people hear this will be stimulated and stirred to go deeper into the things of God, to go deeper into the prophetic, to go deeper into seeing healing break, to go deeper into things of God, not just to settle on the status quo, but to go further in things of you, Lord God. So I just pray that, Lord God, and I pray for healing, Lord God, that people have been needing healing. So I want to pray that if you've got, if you've got sickness in your body, to place your hand over that, that sickness. And I just want to pray for you. And, um, you know, Jesus healed long distance. And that's one of the great things about, about Zoom is that um, you can pray for someone and they can be healed. And Jesus healed long distance. You know, he, he didn't have to go into someone's house. He could just say, this hour, this person's healed. And it's, it's the same, that same anointing. So I, I want to pray that, that same, um, same anointing, healing long distance. Jesus done it. And um, we are seeing it over Zoom and online. So I pray for all the people listening to this who needs, needs healing. So in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I release the healing power God into these bodies, into these sicknesses right now in the name of Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, be healed. Let those sicknesses start to wither, die right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray for heart issues, people that are struggling with, with heart. So I speak to hearts in the name of Jesus, be healed hearts. I pray for the arteries around the hearts to be strengthened. And I pray for them, for the unclogging of um, arteries, you know, where arteries get filled up with fat. I just pray that right now, the unclogging of, of arteries in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, complete healing right now. I pray for creative miracles in hearts in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Nice stuff, man. Listeners again, Mark Gamblin from Doxa Encounters Ministries. That's www.doxa-encounters with an S-ministries, also with an S, plural on both. Doxa-encounters-ministries.com. Joining us from Hampshire in the UK. Mark, it's been wonderful to chat with you, get to know you, and I appreciate you very much coming on here. Our website for the show is Dominion Fire, which you'll find at www.dominionfire.com. You can find our uh, website. You'll find our text message list, which make sure you get on that so we can uh, update you whenever new shows come out. And all the socials, just search for Dominion Fire and you will find us. Like horse droppings, we are everywhere, man. And so uh, come hang out with us, come chat, and uh, hear what everybody around the world has to say. Mark, thank you again for being here. Listeners, thank you for being here. And as always, as we say at our ministry, boom, goes Yeshua. And we'll see you guys next time.